times. And that is on whether people want to talk about it. And some churches shy away from it because it's just, it's just easier not to talk about it. Um, because Revelation is actually a, it's a very cool book. It's very deep. And there's a lot of things going on. And honestly, I mean, in this last week, as I've just gotten this message ready, uh, there's so much. And we're going to get there. We're going to do it together. We're going to kind of figure this out. But I want to do it in a way that you understand at least, you know, I don't want to be like Charlie Brown's teacher and just wah, 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 wah. I want you to know what's going on so that you at least have a, a glimpse or a grip of what is happening so that you can, you can make whatever you need to do accordingly. Say amen to that. So we want to do that for you, and, and so I wanted to clear something up. I said this last week. I said that Charles Darwin recanted his theory on evolution on his deathbed, and uh, that's what, you know, I had got that from a, uh, a reliable minister years ago, and, and you know, but then I uh, had somebody say, hey, you know what, and they sent me a link on that, so I studied the link, and the, that, the, it has been said that that's what happened, but they can't substantiate that. There is no substantial proof that that is exactly what happened. So I'm just letting you know I, I can't substantiate that claim, although there is enough evidence in the Bible on creation to pretty much blow the evolution theory out of the water. So there you go. But I just wanted to be as upfront and honest as I can. I'm not trying to, to you know, put anything over on you, and we certainly don't have any Kool-Aid out in the lobby for you to drink. Okay. All right. So let's kick this off with a question. Let's just start off and say, you know, how do you picture Jesus? I mean, when you picture God, what do you, when you picture Jesus, what do you picture? Now, when I was growing up, I had a picture of Jesus, and I wasn't real crazy about it because it scared me. But I'm not talking about just who I, what I think he looks like, but not only what he looks like, but who he is, what he does and what he represents. If, if I could just be with, you know, honest with you here, where we, like I'd be dishonest, I'm not going to do that, so I'm going to be honest with you, right? But we put him in this box, and we think this is, but he's bigger than we could even think. He's bigger than we could, our minds are, are, are what we, or they're finite, they're just, I mean, we can only do so much. Have you ever had where you're just like, I don't need, I'm on overload, don't give me any more. That's like the woman with three toddlers, mommy, mommy, you know, just, mm, you know. I want juice. I want. He took. He's breathing my air. I can't. You know. And you're like, stop, because you're on overload. God is his. He's infant. There's no end to him. I mean, he is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega. So I, I want you to understand the Book of Revelation is a revealing of Jesus Christ in His glory. That's what this book is about. It is about revealing who Jesus is and why and what, he, what his purpose is in his glory. So I know you want to talk about end time stuff, and every time I get up here, because that's what everybody's talking about, is this the end times? Will the rapture happen this year? Oh, should I have more children? What do I need to do? You know, and I get it. Those are actually pretty good questions. I don't know when Jesus is coming. If somebody tells you they do, they don't know. That's wrong. The Bible does. Jesus is waiting for dad to go, Go get him. So I can't tell you that. I mean, do I think he could come back? I think he could. I don't know when. Could be in my lifetime. Could be in my kid's lifetime. Could be in my grandkids. I don't know. But the good thing is, I'm going. So my wife likes superheroes. I'm going. I finally get to fly like Superman. Yeah. 
Okay. I was a Maytag repairman. I was lost in that thought. I don't know. That would be great. You know, when Zach was little, true story, Zach was little. He was like four. We were in church. Zach loved Superman, loved him. And, uh, and I was, you know, I was all about Superman. It's my favorite. And I love Spider-Man and Batman and Thor. And I like Hulk because he smashed things. And, you know. But anyway, Zach, totally straight-faced, four years old, cute as anything, comes up to me and he goes, Dad. Now, I'm getting ready to go, probably to go preach or do something. Dad. I said, yeah, Zach, what do you want, buddy? He said, come here. I went over there and he had these eyelashes that if he flapped them big enough, they could fly. I mean... <laughs> Just big eyes, cute. I get down one knee. I said, what is it? He said, if there's trouble today. I said, yeah. He unbuttons his shirt. He's got a Superman costume. When he goes, I'm ready. <laughs> I said, that's right. That's good. The good news for you this morning, if there's trouble today, he's ready. You ain't never going to catch Jesus off guard. Never. It's so good. Oh, my goodness. I'm excited. The disciples, we should be thanking them, though. I mean, think about it. They got to walk with Jesus, walk and talk with him. And we, we're his disciples now, and we get to walk and talk with him. But they, they did it in person. I mean, they could reach out and touch him. You know what I mean? Hey, Jesus, you want a piece of my bread here? He took my bread, not yours, John. <laughs> I mean, you could just see all that going on. I dunked mine after him. But anyway, but they asked him some questions. They said, will this be the, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And he gave them some answers. He tells them in Matthew to watch out for deception. Is deception not going on today? There's a lot of stuff that's underlying, and, and it looks good, but there's something underneath. And so we have to understand deception is running rampant right now. It says, he says, many's going to come in my name and deceive. So what can look like good cannot be good. So you got to know what you're looking at. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. The end times are full of deception. Signs and wonders will be shown to deceive many, even the elect. Do you understand that the enemy is a copycat? We talked about that. that remember when Moses got orders, go to Egypt, tell him to let my people go. And he's like, okay. So he does, and he takes his staff, and this is his instruction, throw it down. And it turns into a serpent. You know the story. The magicians were able to do the same thing. The cool thing is, is God's staff ate all the others. But my point is, the enemy is always trying to copy something. And, and sooner or later, the real deal is going to come out. It will be uncovered. There's so much division and deception, it already exists. And so what happens if we're not careful, if we don't know what the Word says, and we're not led by the Spirit of God, we will be deceived. And one key factor of being deceived is you don't think you're deceived. And I get it. Have you ever been right? You, you swore you were right and found out you were wrong? Then you have to go, oh, I was wrong. I thank God for grace and mercy, but we need to be aware of what is going on. So much division and deception is already around. 350 divisions in the church world, denominations, you know, and every one of them, we're right, you're wrong. No, you, you do this. No, you, you do that. No, this is not true. Yes, this is true. No, uh, this is real wine. No, it's grape juice. No, and, and there's all kinds of things going on. But Jesus says, don't be troubled. Did you know far more people have died uh, 
in war during the 20th century in the past 500 years than any other century before it. Jesus says, don't be troubled. Stuff like this is going to come to pass. It's still not the end. When he's talking about wars, I don't think he's talking just about the way that we think wars are, like with, you know, fighting countries and that kind of thing. I, I think that could be included, certainly. But I think it's deeper than that. It's not just people against people. I think it's, it's about kingdoms against kingdoms. Come on. It's about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. It is about a battle. It's like two magnets trying to put them together, and they, they won't go. They don't gel. It's not going to work. And I believe that God created what he created, and the enemy comes in and is fighting that. And then the earth is shaking because of that disruption. Earthquakes and different things like that. So it's not just about physical war. It's about things that are just like, this is not how it's supposed to be. In essence, it is how it is going to be so that the, the, the book will play its, its way out. But let's get back to our task, text. Uh, turn to your neighbor real quick and just say, wow. Just want to keep you involved here. Revelation is awesome. Uh, but when you read Revelation, it's easy to get lost. I mean, there are dragons and demons and angels and plagues and the mark of the beast. Stars fall. Heavens rolled up. Cats and dogs living together. I mean, you'll get it confused with Ghostbusters if you're not careful. It's cray-cray. Here's the bottom line. Uh, all kidding aside, Revelation is meant to bring understanding. It is meant to, for us to see what is going to take place. Seriously, for us to understand. It literally means unveiling as a revealing of a mystery. It pictures something mysterious covered by a veil. So just picture that, and then the veil's taken away, and you can see it. So now you can understand. It's uh, back in the day. Remember those pictures that they were made and you could look at them, stare at them cross-eyed for a little while and another picture kind of came out of that picture. It was already there, but you, you, it just kind of came out and you didn't see it before, but you had to kind of stare at it a while or whatever. I don't know how they did that, but that's what Revelation is. It's deeper than what you think. There's so many things in that, but God is saying, I'm not playing hide and seek here. I want to show you. You ever think why Jesus does what he does? You know, the disciples ask him stuff like this. Why do you, why do you talk in riddles? Why do you talk in parables? But Jesus, is, he's doing something so that he's saying, I, I want to say something to people that will kind of get their attention, but if they really want to know what I want, want them to know, they're going to follow me to find it out. So he would say things, and, and they would go, what? And he would just say something else. He would talk in parables and tell them stories. And they're like, okay. Revelation is setting things up for what God is wanting to do. If Revelation is for understanding, you might say, well, then, Brett, why is it so confusing? Why does reading it feel like I walk into the classroom at college for advanced nuclear uh, uh, metaphysics or something? You know, it's just like, okay, now we're talking this means this and this is that and and uh, in a way, so I'm going to try to break this down so that you can understand this, because this is how the Lord showed me this. It's like that. Because when we first read it on the surface, we're like, okay, I'm not getting it. Now, in 10th grade, when I was in high school, way back in the day, when we just had stone tablets, <laughs> I had Raymond Cox 
as my geometry teacher, and he always called it jump tree. He never said geometry. He was always like, jump tree. Well, we're going to study jump tree. Mr. Gleisman, would you come to the board? And I would be like, don't send me to the board because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and who cares what X and Y is? And who cares when the train gets to Chicago? You don't like it? Take the bus. <laughs> I'm like, who, who, I mean, what good does that do me? But anyway, he would start naming all these theories and all this stuff, you know, and I would... I was trying to get a hold of this, and I got tutored in both these classes. But had I not had in ninth grade Mrs. Withrow's algebra class, I would have no idea what geometry was. I mean, I really wouldn't. Because, you know, they were kind of, it was the pre-lib, or pre-trip, whatever, preliminary, that's it, that's the word. I'll get there. <laughs> to the geometry, you had to have that. My point is, there's a lot of people out there that never want to look at the book of Revelation until stuff like now is going on. So when they look at it, they go, I don't get it. It's God trying to confuse us. No, he's not. You just have to read the books before it. You, it's just like taking the class before it. You just have to start studying a little before it. And we'll get there together. And you're my, But I want, to know, I want to know about the end time stuff. Brother Brett, I need to know. I'll get there. We'll get there together. But we need to lay some foundation on why we're doing what we're doing. And so that is kind of what we're talking about this morning. Uh, we want to understand it. Don't you want to understand it? So I'm going to do my best to help you here. The teacher's job is to explain it. That's going to be my job. So it starts making sense. My job's explaining. Wax on, wax off. Your job. Listen, Daniel, son. Uh, I'll explain it, and then your job is to try to understand what I explain. And I'll do my best. Uh, you listen, but then you read it and study it for yourself. So you look at it yourself. Don't just take my word for it. I want you to look at it yourself and go, oh, okay, I see what he's saying. I, I understand. Once again, listen, read, and study, and pray about it for yourself. Last week, I broke three things down. I broke, we had three questions. I broke those down, and we're going to back up a little bit and get a little bit more foundation because there were seven churches that letters were written to, and we can all get lessons from that as we get into the end-time stuff, okay? So we're going to look at a couple of those letters this morning. Next week, we'll look at a couple more, and we'll just move on through as God gives us the grace to do it. But <clears throat> the author of the book is John. He explains about the book is about Jesus and also about the end times. And most of us just want, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you are a dessert freak, you just want the sugar. That's great. That's great. Give me the pie. You know, but uh, we'll get there, but we're, we're going to go through a couple courses first, okay, as we get there on our way. So... Revelation 1.1 says, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John. And so then John introduces himself in verse 4. This letter is from John to the seven churches, the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne. Verse 5 and 6, he's here to tell you now what we're talking about. He's going to tell you about Jesus. And from Jesus Christ, he's the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, the ruler of all the kings of the world, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. By shedding his blood for us, he has made for us the kingdom of priests for God, his father, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. 
And then in 7 and 8, he talks about what he's going to do, his second coming. He says, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. All the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. So I'm stating this again. I'm not the only Bible. I'm really not a Bible authority. I mean, I am a pastor. Yes, I've studied the Bible, and yes, that's my job, and I get that. But what I'm trying to tell you is I'm, I'm a man. And that's why I want you to understand whatever, and those that are looking online, look in your Bible and read it for yourself. Make sure that, you know, I don't want to say anything that's wrong. You know, I just got done correcting something I said wrong last week. Well, not wrong, but just couldn't be substantiated. So I'm not here to try to, to tell you, uh, you know, if, this, if it's in here, it's true, no matter what. Even if I said it wasn't true, you better believe this, because that's the way that works. I'm just God's servant. I'm going to do my best to help us understand. So John begins the book. He's stranded on an island, uh, Revelation 1, 9 through 20, and you might be saying, oh my, he's reading a lot. Okay. That goes with this book. But, uh, but we'll make it, you know, we'll get through it, and I'll, I'll keep you grinning here and there, so it'll be all right. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the uh, patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. Ever feel like you've been called by God and you're just waiting? Help me, Jesus. You ever seen that? Help me, somebody. I say that all the time. But anyway, I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. Now, I'm going to stop right there. I, I do believe, and I, my wife just experienced one just a week ago. I do believe there's going to be people in this room that are going to, and you need to listen to what I'm saying because we're talking about revelation. I'm going to say this prophetically. You're going to have some suddenlies. You're going to have some suddenlies. I'm going to say it one more time. You're going to have some suddenlies. In other words, whatever is going on, God's going to stop it, and you're going to know that was a moment. Boom. He's going to say something or whatever. John hears a voice, and let's pick this back up. All right. Let me find out where I'm at. Uh, da, 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 da. Worship in the Spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write a book. Write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across the chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice thundered like a mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw on my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So who's John talking about? He's talking about Jesus. That's who he's talking about. And we find that out in verse 18. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of, of death and the grave. Uh, 
you know, think about this, and this is just a side note. As I was doing this study, I mean, what Jesus is saying is, is the same thing that God told Moses. Now, again, just going back, how, God just confirms over and over again in his word what he's talking about. Moses is told to go and, and go to Pharaoh and, and let my people go. You know, go tell Pharaoh, hey, Jack, give these guys up. That's the book of Brett, so he's going to say that. And, uh, and he's going to say, they're, they're going to tell me, well, in whose authority? Who's, who do I tell them sent me? And God says, you tell them I am sent you. And he's saying things, I am, here. He says it over and over again, I am, I am. Let me catch us up here, just back in verse 12. He shows up among seven lampstands. They represent the churches, the light of the world. And he's among them, Jesus is. He's among those lambs. Son of man is a title given uh, to him in the book of Daniel, and uh, the robe and sash are garments of a judge and a king. His hair is white as wool, also seen in Daniel, and there he's called the Ancient of Days. Jesus, he might be old, but he doesn't look it. He's, you know, looks really good. Okay. Eyes of fire, fire is dangerous, and, and it pierces, it purifies, and it refines. So all of these things are meaningful, and that's how Jesus sees. He sees, you know, it's kind of like he can see to, through your soul. Okay, how many moms are in the building? Okay, you know more than even dads. My, my kids were growing up, and Sammy, cute, like Zach, just beautiful. And he was like, Daddy, I, I just said, big crocodile tears run down his face. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. She sticks her head around the corner and goes, he's lying. <laughs> just as plain as day. I'm buying every bit of it. She can see right through it. I don't know how God does that with wives and, and, and moms, but I mean, just like, dear Lord. And she was right. Bronze represents judgment. His feet are bronze. His voice is like rushing water. It's very powerful. You know, and so uh, let's, let's just continue on. Uh, out of his mouth, a double-edged sword, and this is a direct reference to the word of God. And they are the same. The word of Jesus is the word of God. God and Jesus are one. If you've heard me say it, I heard the Father say it. The Holy Spirit are the three in one. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. What would we do if we were John? I mean, if we were there and, and you had a suddenly, what would you do? We'd probably do just what he did. I'm dead. I'm just going to lay here dead. I'm just going to act like it. The only thing I can relate to this is when I was on staff in a church, I was supposed to preach that night. It was a Sunday night, and I went in the afternoon early, which was what I would normally do. And I was just getting ready, and I was praying in there, and there was nobody in the building. I'm in the sanctuary, and the sanctuary, I've told this story before, but it had, it had sections like this, but they were, you could section them off with those accordion curtains, you know? And so they were all sectioned off except for the center section, and I was on one of the ends. Um, if you were facing it, I would have been on this end. And uh, I, I heard this voice. I mean, I heard it. It was audible. And I remember, like, who's talking? I'm the only one here. I mean, I mean, felt, and I got up and I went all around the church. I'm the only car there. I mean, it's like four o'clock service until six. There's nobody there. I looked in every room. Nobody's there. And I went back and sat down and he said it again. And then every hair on my body started going, hey. 
Just like, and I knew like, oh my gosh. And I knew that it was God. And I'm just telling you, I didn't have, you know, 101, what to do in the presence of God. I didn't have that class. All I knew was this, I needed to get on the floor. That's all I knew. Nobody told me that. I remember just, I slid off the pew. We didn't have chairs. It was a pew. And I just laid on the floor. And he talked to me. And that service was an unprecedented service. It was crazy. I mean, in a good way. God was just doing so many things, healing people and doing, I mean, miracles and stuff was happening. I'm here to tell you this again today, and I said it in the first service, and those that are watching online, we are going to have services like that here because he is doing something. He, I'm telling you now, he's pulling me in. I'm telling you. I, you know, he wanted me to study on this stuff, and it seems like the more I'm studying, the more he's like, come on. But we're going to see some things. And it's going to be a drawing spot for people that need Jesus. You mark what we said. Jesus does something here. He touches John and he says, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. And in verse 8, he states that he's the Alpha and the Omega. And then in, in 22, he says he's the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He puts it all together later on. So it's a clear statement that that he is God. He's, he's letting us know exactly what's going on. I'm the living one. I once was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. You know, one of, these, one of the things that I like to think in my mind, I'm a guy that I like to, I, li- I, I, I do stories. That's one reason maybe I like Jesus so much, because he did stories. But you know, when Jesus died, and he went in the grave for three days, can I tell you who was the first one outside of Jesus and God, you know, to know that he was alive? You might be saying, oh, well, it was the, the girls, the ladies that came that day, you know, the angel, and they saw the stones rolled away. No, 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 no. He was busy while he was in there. I just, can you imagine whatever, I don't even want to know what hell looks like, but can you imagine when, that's where he went to get the keys, what would that have been like? I mean, that would made John Wayne look like a wimp. Could you just see, I'm going to take those keys, Satan. I mean, he's just, he's going, he gets them. I don't know how that went, but you know, he's going to go get them, and he comes back with them. I mean, he's going to make anybody like that. Rambo, doesn't matter. Jesus is amazing. So we, let's move on. What does he think of the church? Remember, last week I told you chapter one is what you've seen. He's telling John, hey, write this stuff down. What you've seen, chapters 2 and 3, what is now, and chapters 4 through 22, the stuff that's coming. And that's the stuff that's going to take place later. Today, I want us to look at the church age from the first century until today. So we're going to kind of go through a couple of these letters, and it's not going to take us too much. You know, we're going to get this. Uh, But do you ever think what he wonders, you know, what's he think about the church? Not that God's all-knowing, so it's not like he wonders what's going on. But what a mess we've made of it. He writes seven letters to seven churches. Many believe that it's the seven eras of church history uh, ahead of time. It's uh, past for us because we're, you know, but it's future for them when it was written. So the seven churches was a real church in 95 AD when it was written. Each church also shows up as a picture of the Christian church in a particular period of history right up to today. And so he speaks to the church in advance, gives each one direction, encouragement, and here's the one we don't like, correction. 
Do you know that God corrects those that he loves? How many have children? Do your children run you or do you run your children? Don't answer that. (laughs) We've all been somewhere and seen somewhere and seen like, oh my. I have watched my wife. I have witnessed my wife. We have been in line at the grocery store with a full cart of groceries while our kids decided now is the time to throw it down. To which my wife said, don't do that. I will take you from this cart, take you to the van, because you know when you have kids, y'all got to have a van. (laughs) Because you... (laughs) So I'd be in line sometimes with, you know, maybe one of the other kids, but whoever was getting in trouble, whoo, she would pull them out of the cart and say, I'll be back. Take them to the car, and they'd come back in. It's amazing how their attitude was different. They're a little quieter. But because we love them, we correct them. And God corrects who he loves. And more than that, in every letter we find an application. So there's going to be something that TLC or us as people of of God will know. We need to know and we need to make adjustments. Everybody in here has got issues. I got issues. Everybody's got issues. If somebody says, I'm perfect or you're perfect, I mean, that's that's nice. But let's all be honest. We all got things we deal with. So let's, let's just, we need Jesus. And Jesus speaks to each one of us. From the persecuted to the Pope to the Protestants. I mean, he's going to cover the whole gamut here. I mean, for real. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. So he loves his church, and because he loves us, he's going to discipline us. The whole book is about revealing. Remember that. It's about revealing Jesus. That's what this book is about. And so each church letter begins with a revelation of who he is. In the church age, Jesus reveals himself to and through the church. You remember when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And and Peter says, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And he says to Peter, who do you say? And he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, man didn't tell you that. You got that from God. I'm going to call you Peter, Cephas, on this rock. I will build my church. That's the foundation of who Jesus is. He wants to build on his church, the people. That's why this country was was founded, one nation, come on, under God. By the people, for the people. What have we done? He, he reveals himself to all of us in chapter 1 as a, as a reference. But uh, the letter of the one to Ephesus, is, it's a good church. This is the first letter. But with something missing. Jesus reveals himself as him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now remember the lamps are the churches, okay? Jesus holds the church, and he's among the church. Now he's there. He is God with us. Think about when he came, Emmanuel, God with us. So again, the Bible's always backing itself up. This is verse two. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance, Revelation 2, 2. The Ephesians, they're a hardworking church. They're a good church. Uh, They have sound doctrine. They have strong determination. Jesus knows that. So he's commending them for that. He sees their work, and he says, that's great. You guys are doing a good job. But in verse four, he says, but I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. 
So in everything they're doing, all their hard work, they've forgotten the purpose of why they do what they do. We don't want as a church to just be existing and just doing the church thing. But why do we exist? Why are we living life on purpose? Who is the source of that? Jesus is trying to tell them, you have forgotten your what? What? What are you doing this for? Who are you doing this for? God is love. They forgot about their love for God. That's the agape love. The, the word Ephesus can mean darling or first, term of endearment for young lovebirds or something like, you know, Kim and I have been married 35 years, going on 36, am I right? I got that right. God is working in my life. <laughs> and I still, I, uh, she goes to watch our grandkids. I will, if, if she'll, you know, if I know what she's going to do, I'll pack her lunch and I'll put a note in her lunch box because she's going to watch the grandkids. And I, I love doing that when I'm writing that. Now, I'm not saying that, look at me. I'm just telling you how excited I get. So I'm writing that and I'm, I know some of you are like, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, and I'm like, know this. There's a man here that loves you with all his heart, you know, or whatever. I'll just say something like that. It's very short, you know, and she will text me back, honey, I love my note. Thank you. But what I'm trying to tell you is, this is what happened with this church. They didn't do that. They just kind of got, they just, they just time to make the donuts. You know, it's just going through the motions. We don't want that. We want to have that excitement again. When your love for God fades, your love for people fades with it. Because God cares about people. I mean, that's just the fact. There's that one story the pastor says, I'm not going to church. I mean, those people, I, they, I don't like them. They don't like me. And his mom says, you're the pastor. You got to go. You got to love people. For God so loved the world that he gave. People are the true riches. He challenges the church in verse 5. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. He tells you to go back. Remember when Mary and Joseph took Jesus into town? He's 12 years old, and then they leave. The Bible says they have a company, and a company could be about 100 people. And they leave, but they, they just assume Jesus is with them, but he's not. And then when she figures out, he's not here. She, I mean, how many moms would be like freaking out? Where's he at? Well, I don't know. Some, there's got to be somebody in that company. He's not my kid. Can't you keep charge of your kids? But anyway, you know, they go back, takes him, the Bible says, three days, and where does she find him? She found him where she left him, where she last saw him. My point is this. We need to get back. If you have lost God as your first love, when you were first saved, how did you act? I remember when I, I got saved, I was like, oh, my word. I mean, it, like the sky was bluer, the birds sounded prettier, the grass was greener, all life was better. I loved everybody. Oh, is, oh you saw, here, take, you know, I mean, I was just, I was so different than I had been before because stuff had just fallen off me. And then you know what happens? We kind of get civilized, don't we, in a sense. And they used to say, boy, if you get, you get a new Christian, you need to lock them up for six months before they're even fit to go out and talk to anybody because they're trying to get everybody else saved. I mean, my mom, my mom got saved. She would, she would talk to anybody about Jesus. I mean, she, I heard Mark Lowry say this, but I could say it for my mom. My, my mom would lead a wooden Indian to Christ if she could. 
But we'd go to the store, and she'd be in the quick checkout. And she's trying to tell the people about Jesus. There's a line now of 15 people, and they're like, lady. And she's like, have you ever had Jesus in your heart as your Savior? You know, she's just going on and on. The people are like, boop. They just want to get her through. But you know what? It was important to her. Now, is the method right? Eh, maybe not so much place and time, but what she's trying to do. What happens when we're, God, I just want to do what you want me to do. We need more of that. We need more of just, you know, I'm not saying there is wisdom in time and places. I get it. But just the excitement of telling people about Jesus. How about living for him and letting them see your life? This is what Jesus is saying, and let me see if I can help you out. You've lost that love and feeling. Whoa, love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone. Some of you are like, why did I come today? <laughs> oh, yeah. What he's saying is, man, you need to get back. You need to get back what God had for you. What was it like when you knew, hey, man, I'm going to heaven. No matter what happens, if I died right now, I'm going. I mean, there's something to be said about that. You know, when I was laying in the ICU room or on the table at the ER, and they're, they're like, oh, get the defibrillator and all that stuff, and I'm hearing them say that. And I'm I, inside, I'm thinking, I, I might be going to see Jesus right now. I mean, I, that's what's going on. But let me, let me say this, and I say this in all meaning. I was not afraid because I knew where I was going. I just didn't want to go yet. I mean, I didn't want to leave her. I got kids, but I'm like, you know, God, you need to understand what he's trying to say. Jesus has got to be number one. We need to repent and return to love. And for those that overcome, you know, that are, are promised and they overcome and they say, yes, he says, I got a, I got a, a promise for it. It's victorious, the NIV calls it. And this is 2-7 of Revelation. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. What a great, here, you get to eat that. Go. That's a serious reward. But it talks about the first century church after the book of Acts until about 100 AD. So we're going to move through that. And I got it's 1130, so I'm going to keep moving. And we don't have a whole lot much more. So um, we need to just take this to heart from what Jesus is saying. Strengthen our foundation, coming back to who he is, thanking him for salvation, thanking him for, for cleaning you up, thanking him for forgiving you. Come on. Thanking him for just washing away your sins. I mean, that's enough, isn't it? So those letters were to the seven real churches back in 95 AD. Um, it's future then, it's past and present for us because, again, we're reading the accounts in the Bible. Each letter shows the Christian church uh, of a period in history, history now, future then. You know what I'm saying. Now, we say, you know, B.C. before Christ. I said A.D. because I was always taught and, and from other people that A.D. meant after death. And check this out. It is actually Anno Domini. A.D., it's medieval Latin. It is many, meaning the year of the Lord in the writing of the Julian and Gregorian calendars is actually what A.D. means. So, so I'm, I'm correcting myself in that from the first service. But still, it is all pivotal on what happened on the cross. When Jesus, before he came and then after he came, what a difference that makes. 
Remember, Revelation is about revealing Jesus and his plan for the world, what God has. And that includes end times. And I promise we're going to keep getting there. We're getting closer every week. But he wants us to see the whole picture. Uh, let's, go, let's, let's continue. In chapters 2 and 3, we get 2,000-year review of the church history. It was written in 95 AD, and that's pretty amazing. There's so many things now that we can see that took place. They didn't know it was going to take place. But if we start looking into history, it doesn't give names and dates, but yet it is still pretty amazing. Uh, number two begins in Revelation 2.8 to the angel church in Smyrna, write this. And here's a backstory on Smyrna. It's a city on the Aegean coast. It is uh, Turkey. Uh, now it's in Turkey, and the city is now called Izmir. The word Smyrna comes from myrrh. And if you remember, when Jesus was born, the wise men brought him gold, frankincense, and it was primarily used for a burial spice, uh, but and this is what I want you to, to catch from this. It smells wonderful, but you get that smell when it is crushed. Um, you know, think about that. It, it has to be crushed, and then that, it, that smell is released. So Smyrna is the persecuted church living in oppression and lack, and, but just like myrrh, when the church was crushed, it revealed something wonderful. He reveals himself in the verse... Uh, in verse 8, is the first and the last who died and came to life again. He conquered death, and the persecuted church needed to know that. So he's, you know, what has happened in history is they tried to snuff out Christianity, and I'm just telling you today, as they try to snuff out the word of God or people of God, it's just going to grow. It's, that's what's going to happen. It's, it's just proving it over and over. You cannot snuff out God. I mean, I mean God, um, no, no, you can't do that. God won't allow that. Nobody snuffs out God. So, you know, this is what Jesus is saying. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. He's telling them in verse, uh, verse 9, they're rich. So listen to what I'm saying. Uh, they can take your job. They can take your house. They can take your life. Sounds like a country song, don't it? <laughs> they can take your life. They can take your dog. Hey, come on, let's play it backwards, and we'll get it all back. <laughs> but, uh, but they cannot take your true riches. Because Jesus is your, I mean, you are the true riches of God, and he is the most prized possession that you hold. Do you understand that? More than I love that woman, I have to love God more. He is the most prized possession that I have, no matter what. You know, you can take a lot of things away from everybody, but you leave somebody faith, you'll be back. You got faith in God, you'll come back. Because God can do anything. The seizures of Rome in 100 AD persecuted Christians, burned at the stake, given to beasts of arenas for sport, driven into the outskirts and the catacombs because of their faith to hide. Jesus says in verse 10, don't be afraid what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, there, there's uh, more than 6 million Christians were killed during that time. 10 days here is a picture of the persecution waves that happened between 100 and 300 AD. So, again, we're, we're looking at a history lesson, so I'm just trying to keep us all up to date here. Uh, and they were, some were faithful, and this is what he's saying, be faithful even to the point of death, and I'll give you life as a victor's crown. Verse 11, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The second death is the one that sends you to hell, and the persecuted church could not be touched by it. And again, when we'll get there, as we get through this, we'll talk about um, the great white throne judgment. We'll talk about that judgment. We'll talk about the judgment seat of Christ. That is the judgment seat where, where we are judged as believers for what we did or didn't do. Uh, we'll talk about all that stuff. 
the cool thing is, even in the judgment seat of Christ, you made it. You know, so it's not like you're going to, it's not like you got to get in the hot tub, okay? So, but what we're going we're gonna to go through all of that stuff. So the church under persecution did just what we talked about a second ago. It spread, and it just got bigger and grew. And, and as the more they pushed on it, the more they tried to snuff it out, the bigger it got. Until the whole world, now how did, you know, think about it. Twelve people turned the world upside down. You know, and how many thousands of years now, and it's still going strong. Come on. I mean, you cannot take out the church of Jesus Christ. I don't care who you are. You cannot. The gates of hell will not prevail. Genuine faith stands the test. Hypocrites don't survive long under real threat, under real persecution. But genuine faith does. If it's worth living for, I'm telling you it's worth dying for. If you read the letter to Smyrna, you're facing persecution. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Great is your reward, so rejoice. Hebrews 13 says, remember those in prison as if you were together with them. And all across the globe, there's different places Christians are being persecuted. Some are losing their life for their faith in Jesus. We just don't know about it. We're just not really told. More Christians were killed in their faith uh, for their faith in the 20th century than every previous century combined. Let me just say this this morning. They didn't crucify Jesus because they loved him. When he came, he just changed everything because they were able to see. He had fruit to back it up. He didn't just make claims. He showed them. Come on. What I'm trying to tell you is this is going to get past just me talking. This is going to get past just us. The, the word is, is a two-edged sword. Yes, it's going to get in, and we're going to, yeah, i got to get this right, or I need to figure this out. Some of you might be saying, oh, you know, Pastor, that kind of scares me. I'm not here to scare you. But what I'm telling you is just put Jesus first. You don't have to be afraid. He's telling you don't be afraid. Do you know Jesus says 365 times in the Bible, don't be afraid? If he's going to say it that many times, do you think he means it? So let's just take him at his word. But what's going to happen is great things are going to happen. I do believe there's going to be falling away because people are deceived. I do believe there's going to be a, a, a jumping back in before it gets too late because people are like, ooh, I was wrong. But let no mistake about it, God will show himself strong. So as we study this together, we're going to find out from each church. We've just looked at a couple. We've looked at the one, lost their first love. The others, you know, persecuted. Some of us have been persecuted on our jobs because of our faith. The Bible says rejoice. There's a great reward for you. I mean, I'm not, I mean, if he wants to hand out a reward, I'll gladly take it. But that's not why I'm doing it. Because, again, because he's the first love. I don't, I don't do things for her because of the reward. Does that make sense? You know, if she's like, I just love you. Come here, let me give you a kiss. That's a great reward for me, not for you. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I did it because I loved her. When I loved her to do that, in my mind wasn't, I'm only doing this because I'm thinking about the reward. And I can just be almost guarantee you, I'm probably not even thinking about the reward. I just did it because I loved her. You help your kids, you get something ready, and it's because, are they going to, what if they treat you, I'm going to do this because I know they'll treat me with respect. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But you didn't do it for that, you did it because of love. Does that make sense? Let me challenge you this morning. Get back to loving God the way that you did when you first found him. And find that, make it an adventure. 
You know, this morning the Lord woke me up early, and so I was up a half an hour earlier than I normally do. And I, I'm like, okay, because I was like, I don't have to get up till now, or till 5:30, because I normally get up 5:30. Almost my body alarm seems to wake me up all the time right before that. But it it was just before five, and I'm like, I don't have to get up till 5:30. And at five o'clock, he's like, Are you going to get up? Okay, I'm up. Make it an adventure. You know, if you know you're going to be with the Lord in the morning, you're going to spend some time praying with him, get stuff ready that night. I mean, hey, get your chair ready where you're going to sit or what you're going to do. You know, get your, your saucer there because that's where you're going to set your coffee. Get your Bible there. Get your notepad. Maybe if it's a little chilly, get a blanket. I mean, if the, I don't need a blanket, but maybe you will. I don't know. <laughs> but just and tell yourself, I'm going, to, I'm going to spend some time with God today. You know, and if that ends up only being 10 minutes or five, it'll be the best five or 10 minutes you had that day. And I'm telling you, it'll just start growing. Things will just start happening, and then you'll start saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to this on the way to work. I'm going to do that. My whole point is this. If God becomes the center, everything starts revolving around that. And with that, you can't lose. You know, and the benefits of that, the more you get closer to God, the more things fall in line. That's how that works. And I can't make that happen for you, but you can. It's by choices. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, please.